We're talking about God's work in this world. We're talking about spiritual success. Nehemiah is a, an example, a model of someone who accomplished God's work, God's way, in God's time, by God's power, and for God's glory. That is the only measure of success. You may look at your life, you may look at your family, you may look at a church, and you may, see the, you may say that's a success. But true success only comes when those things take place. God's work done God's way, by God's power, in God's time, and for God's glory. There's a lot of good things that are done, but they are not done for the glory of God. They are done for the glory of man. May God deliver us as a church from ever doing anything for our own glory, but that the glory may go to God and God alone. That's true success. There are seven steps that are laid out in the story, the account of Nehemiah. We have seen some of these thus far. We have seen that it begins with a burden. It begins by caring about what needs to be done. The wall in Jerusalem was torn down. The people were in distress. They were in disrepute. And Nehemiah hears about that, and his heart is burdened to do something about it. God begins to shape that burden into a vision. And he has a vision that this is what could take place. There's preparation that is necessary. God begins to prepare us. There's steps of preparation we have to take. And then last week we saw that there is cooperation. That for God's work to be done, He uses a body. He uses brothers and sisters working together. He uses every single one of us. No one individual is so important that they can do it themselves, and no one individual is so unimportant that they can't contribute and be a part. God has put us together as a body of believers to accomplish what he wants us to do. And I firmly believe that whatever God has for us as a church, he will always provide those with the gifts and abilities and the power to accomplish what he has called us to do. That means every one of you, every one of you that is a part of our church can have a role to play and a part in the work that God does. But as the work goes on and the work does progress in the book of Nehemiah, it reaches one point where he says the wall was finished to the half. And then the next he says it's finished except for the gates. God's work is a process. Most of us don't like the process. We want the event. We want the, we want the final day when the wall is completed. But there's a process that is necessary to get to that point. As we go through that process, as some of you are experiencing the process of God's work in your life, that work of sanctification, and let me just say to every Christian that being made like Christ is God's will for your life. This is the will of God, even your sanctification. Sanctified means to make holy. So God's will for your life as an individual Christian is to be like Jesus Christ. There's no question about that. God's will for families is for the marriage to accurately and adequately represent and adoringly represent the connection, the mystery between Christ and the church. And the relation between parents and children is for the faith to be passed from one generation to the next. One generation shall declare thy works to another. And then for those children to honor and glorify God by respecting their parents and honoring their parents. Children, obey your parents and the Lord for this is right. That's God's will for our families. 
God's will for us as a church, God's plan and work for us as a church is to accomplish the great commission to the glory of God and to glorify Him through our worship. Well, I believe He's been honored and glorified this morning through our worship. But that's His will, that's His purpose, that's the work that we are called to do. When we see this, I want you to see a phrase in Nehemiah chapter 6. And I want you to see this next step, this fifth step, is spiritual success requires focus. It requires focus, paying attention, staying on task. Have you ever been on a job and you felt like you didn't get anything done because just about the time you got started into something, something else comes up and you, you get don't started on that and then you do that for a little bit and you get, boy, you, the more you work, the more you find out that there is to do. And you feel like you're never going to get anything accomplished. Sometimes you get to the end of the week and you say, man, I was busy working all week, but I couldn't tell you one thing that I did. We have to have that focus. Satan wants nothing more than to draw our attention away from the task God has for us. Look in Nehemiah chapter 6. It came to pass, verse 1, when Sanballat and Tobiah and Geshem the Arabian and the rest of our enemies heard that I had builded the wall and that there was no breach left therein, though at that time I had not set up the doors upon the gates. They've reached the stage where it's almost complete. They just don't have the gates up that Sanballat and Geshem sent unto me, saying, Come, let us meet together in some one of the villages in the plain of Ono. But they thought to do me mischief. Let me just pause a minute and say that if anyone ever invites you for lunch at a place called Ono, that's probably a good sign they got mischief in their minds. They sought to do me mischief, but notice what he says back to them. I sent messengers unto them, saying, I am doing a great work. You see that? I am doing a great work. Why? So that, so that I cannot come down. Why should the work cease whilst I leave it and come down to you? Satan wants, the enemy wants, the deceiver wants us to come down off the wall of the work that God has for us. Your task, my task. Our family's task, our church's task is not building a wall around a city, but it is building the church of Christ in this world. It is doing His work. It is proclaiming the gospel to every creature. It is teaching them to observe all things whatsoever He has commanded. Our task is to do God's work in this world, and Satan wants us to come off of that wall. He wants to distract us from what God has for us. As we look at this work, this great work, I want you to see, first of all, in this account, the work of Satan. It's important for us to know not just what our work is, but to know what Satan is going to do to try to distract us. You see, if Satan can't get you from starting, he'll try to stop you. He'll try to hinder you. He'll try to get you busy doing good things rather than the best things, than the good things, the great things. There's a lot of good things that churches can do. There's a lot of good things that Christians can do. But the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 12, when we are running the race, we are to lay aside the, not just the sin which does so easily beset us, we're to lay aside the weights. There are some things in our lives that are not sins, but they are weights, they are distractions, they keep us from 
focusing on what God has for us. So what is the work of Satan? I want to move through this pretty quickly this morning. We can see a lot of detail about it. But I want you to turn back a page or two to Nehemiah chapter 4. Keep your Bibles out, either scrolling or paging, whichever one you're doing. And be ready to move, because I want you to see these texts. Nehemiah chapter 4. It came to pass, verse 1, that when Sanballat heard that we builded the wall, he was wroth, he was very angry. He took great indignation, and he mocked the Jews. Satan's work will be to intimidate you from doing God's work. Notice what he does in these verses. First of all, he tries to make them feel scared. He gathers together the army of Samaria. He spoke before his brethren and the army of Samaria. There's an army here that are the ones who are the enforcers of the region. They're the ones who tell people what they can do and can't do. They're probably some of the ones that have kept the wall from being built to start with because the people that are living there, the remnant, are fearful of what might happen to them if they try to begin to build the wall. But with Nehemiah's leadership and with the authority of the king, they have moved forward, and he's angry about that. So he gathers together this army. What is he doing? He's trying to intimidate the Jewish workers. He's trying to intimidate the wall builders. He's trying to get them to stop what they are doing because of the fear of that army. Not only does he make them feel scared, he tries to make them feel small in, in relation to the work. He says, what do these feeble Jews? Will they fortify themselves? Will they get the wall built? Will they sacrifice? Are they going to get their temple rebuilt? Will they make an end in a day? Will they revive the stones out of the heaps of the rubbish which are burned? Understand that what he's saying is rooted in the reality that this is a large task. But he exaggerates it. Will they do it in a day? Nobody's proclaimed. Nobody said they're going to do it in a day. But they built the wall in 52. That's pretty good. In a day. You see what Satan will do? Satan will take an element of truth in your situation, and he will convince you that it's bigger than it is. He will convince you that the problem is bigger than it is. He will convince you that the division in your family is bigger than it is. He will do everything he can to make you feel too small for the task. And there's an element of truth in that because all of us are too weak and too small for the tasks that God will call us to. Jesus said, without me you can do nothing, but with him we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. That's not talking about what it's always been applied to, oh, I can do anything I want to. Let me tell you something. There are some things in this world I just can't do. I can claim that verse. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I'm going to go out and I'm going to slam dunk a basketball, Pastor Jeremy. It's not what that verse is talking about. It's not what that verse has ever talked about. Because I can assure you that has never happened. What it's talking about is I can do whatever God's task for me is. I may be too small for the task, I may be weak, I may be insignificant, but I'm glad that God is a God of the small things. He's a God who took a little boy with a little lunch, filled with little fish and little bread, and he fed a multitude. And I'm glad that God can do the same through us, but Satan will try to make you feel small. He'll even try to make you feel ridiculous. He'll make you feel silly. Look in verse 3. Now, Tobiah the Ammonite was by him. Tobiah is sort of the... He's the sidekick of this crowd. He's the one that wants to impress the big villain. He wants to impress uh, Sanballat. And so he's going to jump in with something to say. And it doesn't have to make a lot of sense, but he's just going to say it because he's got something on his mind. 
He said, even that which they do build, if a fox go up, he'll break down their stone wall. He wants them to feel like what they have accomplished is, is silly. This is ridiculous for you to think that you can build a wall that's going to withstand an army. If a fox can knock it down, what's going to happen? And Satan will begin to work in our minds, and he will try to intimidate us, and he'll tell you, you look at the family you came from. Who, th- who makes you think you can ever have a godly family? He'll try to make you feel like, well, that person's better than you. What makes you ever think that you could share the gospel with someone? What makes you think you can serve God? You don't have those gifts. You don't have those abilities. You're a nothing. But I'm glad that his estimation of me is not my Savior's estimation of me. And God says that through his power and through his strength and through the work of the Holy Spirit, that his work can be done. And God chooses to do imperfectly through us what he could do perfectly on his own but he has welcomed us into his task he has welcomed us to get on the wall and lay some bricks and and build some timbers and do the work to put up the gates we get to we get to be a part of that and what you do matters to god if satan can't intimidate look over to chapter six he'll try to interfere he'll try to stir up trouble if he can't make you fearful of the enemy He'll try to make you fearful for your life and fearful of failure. This is our text verse, and he said, they sent mess- he sent messengers to them and said, I'm doing a great work, I can't come down. The work of Satan is to distract. He wants to call us away from the work. He wants to get your attention on other things. I can almost promise you that there were people three or four weeks ago when I preached on a burden who were burdened about a situation They were concerned something needs to be done. Something needs to be done in my family. There are others who've come in revival services and they've come and they've knelt at the altar and they've been convicted about something, they've been burdened about something, but that as they've walked away, sometimes before they can even get out the door, the conviction is gone. The burden is gone. Why? Because they lose that focus. If Satan can't stop you from being burdened about it and having a vision about it, He'll wait. He doesn't care whether he stops you at the beginning or part way through. He will try to interfere. He will try to draw you away in distraction. And then also by destruction, he says he wants to destroy. They wanted to do me mischief. These are not nice people. Oh, it might seem like, oh, this is a good thing to do. Who doesn't want to get along with their neighbors? Who doesn't want to get together and say, hey, let's work this out? They said, we're looking out for you, Nehemiah. Somebody wants to hurt you. Yeah, you do. They wanted to do him harm. There's a reason why Satan is called the destroyer. There's a reason he is called the deceiver and the enemy. He roams about seeking whom he may devour. I have heard just this week of Christians and pastors and Christian leaders, missionaries, that the Satan, that the devil has caught in his traps. Don't get caught in those traps. Don't listen to his distractions. Stay focused on the work that God has for you to do. And then there's also, if you can't, he'll discourage you. Look in verse 4. They sent unto me four times after this sort. Satan doesn't get you the first time. He's not going to quit. He'll come after you again and again. And again, but I love what Nehemiah does. I answered them after the same manner. 
EMI's got, he's a one-string banjo, man. He's got one song, and he sings it. I'm doing a great work, and I can't come down. They come back again. Hey, we want to meet with you. Your life's in danger. I'm doing a great work. I can't come down. Nehemiah, meet with us in the plain of Oda. I'm doing a great work. I can't come down. And you know what we have to say every time Satan tries to distract us, and we te- we're tempted to be distracted, and students, you're distracted from following God. You go to camp, and God stirs your heart, and you come back, and slowly that focus begins to fade. You have to say to Satan, I will not come down off this wall. God is doing a great work. I am doing a great work, and I cannot come down. And every one of us has to say that often. There are times when Satan will try to get into our hearts and he'll try to get into our minds. He'll try to interfere. But if he can't intimidate you and stop you from starting, and if he can't interfere once you've started, he'll try to come from the inside. He'll try to infiltrate. Look in chapter 13. This is one of the most amazing accounts in Scripture. Do you remember the sidekick's name, a man by the name of Tobiah the Ammonite? In chapter 13, look in verse... Four. Nehemiah's been gone and comes back. Now, I want you to back up to verse 1 for a moment. As they're reading the scriptures, they're having a, a spirit of revival. In verse 1, on that day they read in the book of Moses and the audience of the people, and therein was found written that the Ammonite and the Moabite should not come into the congregation of God forever. You remember who Tobiah is? Tobiah the Ammonite? Look down to verse 4. Before this, Eliashib the priest, having oversight of the chamber of the house of our God, was allied unto Tobiah. And he had prepared for him a great chamber. Now this chamber, verse 5, tells us was a place that was a storage place in the temple where they stored the utensils and the offerings that were supposed to be for worship of God. And then down in verse 7, he said, I came to Jerusalem and understood of the evil that Eliashib did for Tobiah in preparing him a chamber in the courts of the house of God. He has brought the enemy right into, right into the temple. Boy, there's so many applications that could be made of this this morning. But let me just say to you as Christians, if God's work for you is to be like Christ, be careful of making alliances with the enemy. Be careful what you bring into your life. Be careful of what you watch. Be careful of what you read. Be careful of where you go. If your work is to have a godly family, be careful what you let your children watch. Be careful where you let them go. Be careful with whom you let them go. Be careful about making an alliance with the world. And as a church... There are ways that worldly thinking, we may walk right, we may dress right, we may act right, but there are ways for the world's thinking to begin to infiltrate our minds. There are churches that are so, their goal is to survive rather than to bring glory to God. And they'll do whatever it takes. They'll do whatever it takes so that they can have numbers. Look, I'm glad for every single one of you that are here this morning. But I, above all, want us as a church to glorify God. And if we do something that doesn't glorify God just so we can feel good about the number of people that are here, God help us. We've brought the Ammonite into the temple. But we want to be true. There are those who follow trend. And their statement is, this is what everybody else is doing, so that's what we should do. On the other hand, there's those that are stuck in tradition, and they'll say, but this is the way we've always done it. And then in the middle is the 
the truth of Scripture. It says, what does God want us to do in following Him and bringing glory to God? We're not bound by trend or tradition. We want to be bound by the truth of Scripture. And as we do that, we do the work of the saints. What is the work of the saints in this account? Let me give you three quick thoughts about the work of the saints and our work. In this account of Nehemiah, first of all, their work was founded on prayer. Their work was founded on prayer. A good barometer of your spiritual condition, my spiritual condition, and the good barometer of the spiritual condition of a family or a church is its attitude toward prayer. You show me a Christian that's got no time for prayer, and I'll show you a Christian that's not walking with God. I don't mean that to be mean. I don't mean that to be ugly. It's just a fact. Why would you say I'm a follower of Christ and I want to walk with God when you don't even talk to him? Prayer is the basis. In chapter 9, we could turn there, you can turn there later and look at it, but in chapter 9, there's a very public prayer that takes place. And they begin to pray and they confess their sins and the people come together in a time of prayer. In the month of January, we're going to have Pray 28, an emphasis that will call every one of us to be involved in some way in prayer together as a church. Why? Because we understand that for God's blessing and God's work to take place in the year to come, it must be through the power of God working through prayer in His people. And so we'll call you to that, and there's public prayer. But in this book, there's also private prayer. Twelve times, Nehemiah stops and prays, and sometimes it's a phrase, and sometimes it's a long prayer, and sometimes it's days of prayer. And back in chapter 4, when the enemy makes those statements, the very first thing he does, there's two verses where Nehemiah calls out to God to deal with the enemy. He's not going to deal with them. Nehemiah's not the one, but he calls on God to do it. It must be a work of prayer Notice also their purpose, their forcefulness and purpose. Back in chapter 4, in the last verses of this chapter, there's something that takes place as they prepare for the potential of attack. They know that army may come, so what do they do? They hold a sword in one hand, and they have a trowel in the other hand, and as they work on the wall, that can't have been easy to carry a sword and be prepared for attack while they're also working to build with one hand. And yet what they are so purposeful about this, they, are, they want to see the work. They had a mind to do the work. And then we see that they are faithful in their participation. Verse 6, back in chapter 4, So we built the wall, and all the wall was joined together to the half thereof, for the people had a mind to work. Do you have a mind to do God's work? Do you have a mind to have a godly family? Do you have a mind to be a Christian who is a genuine disciple, follower of Christ? Do we have a mind to do God's work in Central Baptist Church? To give and to go and to share and to proclaim the gospel and to live in such a way that the world can see the love of God and the power of Christ in us? This brings us to the most important. I want you to see over in chapter 6, the work of the Savior. What is God's work in all this? Chapter 6 and verse 16. Let me back up to verse 15. So the wall was finished in the 20 and 5th day of the month in 50 and 2 days. This wall has been destroyed for decades And here in 52 days, 
they've rebuilt the wall. But look in verse 16. It came to pass that when our enemies heard thereof and all the heathen that were about us saw these things, they were much cast down in their own eyes, for they perceived that there was nobody around like us. Is that what your Bible says? If it is, you either weren't paying attention or you got the wrong Bible. They weren't impressed with the Nehemiah. They weren't impressed with the workers. They were impressed with this. They perceived that this work was wrought of our God. Let me tell you, if we're going to accomplish God's work, it has to be in God's power. They had God's presence with them. They had God's power working through them. And we can spin our wheels, and we can do all the things that we know to do, and we can give our best effort, but not by power, by, not by, by might, but by my spirit, saith the Lord. He's the one that will do the work. And that's why we pray. That's why we cry out for revival. That's why we cry out for the presence of God, because the work that we do as a church must go forth in the power of God. And so we pray for it. And Satan would call us off that wall. Get off that wall of praying for revival. Come down here. No, I'm doing a great work. And he would call us away from the work of proclaiming the gospel. And we'd say, no, I can't come off this wall. I'm doing a great work. Give up on your family. Give up on your marriage. Give up on your kids. No, I'm doing a great work. I can't come down teaching a Sunday school class, singing in the choir, doing some work within the church for God, serving in our community, proclaiming the gospel in our neighborhoods. I can't come down. I'm doing a great work. This is not the time to come off the wall. This is not the time to lose focus. This is not the time to quit. It's one thing to be fired up. It's one thing to be excited when we start the task. But when the time gets difficult and you hit that midway point after 20 or 30 days and the wall's half built and you look and you see that it has half more to build plus the gates. And it's that time that the enemy starts attacking and the enemy starts speaking and you feel like you're making some progress and suddenly you feel like for every step forward you're making two steps back. That's not the time to come off the wall. Back in 1990, there's a great story as... President George H.W. Bush was contemplating how to respond to Saddam Hussein's invasion in Kuwait that the British Prime Minister Margaret Thatcher came to him at a conference and she said, now George, this is not the time to go wobbly. Let me tell you this morning, this is not the time to go wobbly. Don't come off the wall. Why? Because it is a great work that God has called us to. It is a great task. It is a great job. It is a great opportunity, but it is a great work. Why is it great? It's not great because of the laborers. There's nothing special about us. We're just servants of God. We're just the people of God. We're just ordinary people. It's not great because of the labor. Some people think there's got to be some important task for them to do that, that people can look at and say, wow, look at what they're doing. But the great work for some is being a godly mother in the home and work and having to work and be a mom at the same time and carrying that load. And for others, it's being a godly dad. And for others, it's being a faithful student at school and proclaiming the gospel and being a godly witness. And it's a 
person who works and does construction work or a person who works in retail or whatever job they do, but their task matters because that is what God has called them to do and that is the work that He has for them to do. And as they do it faithfully and they do it for the glory of God, then a great work takes place because it's not the laborer that makes it great and it's not the labor that makes it great, but it is the Lord of the task that makes it great. Whatever we do for His glory is a great work. God's work is a great work. Don't quit. Don't come off the wall. Run with patience the race that is set before you. Finish the course. Finish the race. Don't be weary in well-doing. Maybe this morning, in your mind, you've begun to contemplate quitting. Maybe you've just you've grown tired of praying for that loved one. You've grown tired of speaking truth to that family member. You've grown tired of serving, and you feel like it doesn't make any difference. Maybe, even worse, maybe you've quit and you're still on the wall. You're still doing the same task, you're still doing the same work, but your heart's far from it. Don't quit. Come to the altar this morning, and maybe you just need to come and say, God, I will not come off the wall. Maybe you need to say to the enemy this morning, I'm doing a great work. I will not come down. Father, I pray this morning that you will speak to us. There are some, Lord, who are ready to quit, ready to throw in the towel. They've said, this is the last straw. I can't take any more. They've prayed their last prayer. They've shared the gospel for the last time. They've they've taught their last class. They're growing weary. Lord, I pray that they will maintain their focus. They'll keep after it. They will hold fast and they will not come off the wall. Father, I pray that you'll speak to each of us this morning with this truth.